Good day and welcome to Overdrive, a program that plays with cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program we have a road test of a Nissan X-Trail, part of Nissan's revival, including some comments from Paul Morell, who is the founder of SeniorDriverOz.com. And in our main interview, Origin Energy now has a department of e-mobility. The role is to help people effectively use electric vehicles. They now run a subscription service for some electric vehicles where you can use a vehicle for 30 days to try it out. Then keep it as long as you like or give it back or swap it to another vehicle or swap during the year when you need a different vehicle such as when you go on holidays. We chat to Origin's General Manager of eMobility, Xiao Li. And we have a quote and reflection of the week. For more information go to drivenmedia.com.au or on the socials of podcasts, Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, look for Cars, Transport, Culture. This program was originally broadcast on the 18th of November 2023. The Nissan X-Trail is a medium-sized SUV and is leading a revival for Nissan, who, during the worst of COVID and the limited semiconductor supply issues, lost considerable ground. Medium SUVs are a very significant part of the Australian market. One of the big downward trends in the Australian car market has been a move away from sedans to SUVs and utes. Although recently in the medium-sized sedan segment, Tesla's Model 3 has significantly increased sales in this category. But there's still only a few players and medium-sized sedans represent just 4% of the Australian new car market so far this year. By comparison, the medium-sized SUV is the largest category in our market, representing 22% of the total new car sales. Our good friend Paul Morell, who is the founder of SeniorDriverOz.com, gives a perspective on the changing face of competition in our market. You've driven the new one? Yes, I have. It's a, I struggle to find a good description for it. It's very competent. It's, it's typically Nissan in that it's well put together, well built. It's a, a very capable car. I don't get any feeling of, of involvement with it. It's just it's another, another appliance rather than a car you can love. I think it's, it's polished up much better. It has improved without necessarily being a standout look-at-me type of vehicle. I tend to agree with you. I don't think people look at cars the same way they used to. They also don't have that brand loyalty that they used to have. Australians have been very quick to embrace new brands, and in fact, brands with no heritage, which is quite surprising to me. However, the top seven cars in the medium SUV category are all from more established brands. In order of sales, they are the Toyota RAV4, the Mitsubishi Outlander, the Mazda CX-5, the Hyundai Tucson, the Subaru Forester, the Kia Sportage, and in seventh place, the Nissan X-Trail. Although it should be noted that in eighth place is the Chinese BYD Atto 3, which is an all-electric vehicle. In ninth place is the Great Wall Motors Haval H6. And in tenth place is the MG HS. So the new players on the block are starting to make their presence felt. Let's have a look at the latest X-Trail. In the last 12 months or so, Nissan has launched four new versions of their model, including the fourth generation of the X-Trail. 
It comes with four equipment levels. We tested the non-hybrid models, which all come with a 2.5-litre four-cylinder naturally aspirated petrol engine. It produces 135 kilowatts, 244 newton metres of torque. Now this is not rocket performance, and because it's not turboed, this is shown by the fact that you have to go to high revs to get those maximum power output. All non-hybrid variants use a CVT gearbox, which works adequately in urban areas, but makes a bit of noise when under load. The car generally sounds like it is working hard on moderate to reasonably steep hills. The external looks, I think, are neat. Quite modern, without going to excessive bling. It has a strong, slightly oversized grille. We've tested a few models, and the last one was a top-of-the-line TIL, and while there are six choices of colours, ours was the Gun Metallic, which is a primer-type look with a very faint metallic if you look closely. Some liked it, some didn't. Now the interior. I think this is the area of significant difference between new players in the market and more traditional brands. The new players put a strong emphasis on the latest digital screens. Some of the old players do a bit too. But the more traditional models have a more mature look, having evolved from a more long-standing experience. Nissan fits well into the established brand. The interior is neat, dependable, confident-looking, without an over-flashy appearance. Now, walking through the four grades... The lower two grades are the ST and the STL and come with either front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. The base model ST, I think that has some practical basic things that are good, such as roof rails or rear parking sensor with a camera, but there's no audible parking sensor at the front. But it also includes features to help drivers, such as intelligent cruise control, traffic sign recognition, lane departure warning and prevention, but not full lane centering cross-traffic alert and driver attention. Now to step up to the STL, which is about a 6,600 price jump, it includes a few comfort features, including heated front seats, dual zone air conditioning and front parking sensors. It's also got Pro Pilot. Now that helps keep you in the lane, not just warns you or tugs at you once you wander too far over the line marking. Now, the upper two grades are the TI and the TIL, and they're only available in all-wheel drive. The second highest level overall is the TI, and it has most of the things that you would expect from a top-of-the-range model. Much bigger digital screens, with both the one in front of the driver and the infotainment screen being 10.8 inches each. And the one in front of the driver in particular I think is good because it's quite clear and not over-cluttered in the digital representations. There's also a power-operated passenger seat to go along with the driver's power seat. But this one also has wireless smartphone charging, tri-zone air conditioning, that's two for the front and one for the back, and a big sunroof, as well as a power tailgate. But over the very base model, that's an extra $13,800 or so. Dollars. And the fourth and final level, the TIL, just adds a few polishing features to the vehicle, including heated rear seats, leather upholstery, ambient lighting in the door, and a better 10-speaker Boss audio system. 
Overall, some of the things I particularly like about the X-Trail is that the doors, both front and back, open a good way, making, making entry and exit easy. And on the top of the range models, there's shaded windows and shaded screens for the back second row passengers. And for those two top models, I said it has a sunroof, not my favourite feature but this one goes over pretty well the entire length of the roof and so makes it much brighter and less claustrophobic for the second row of passengers. The cargo space in the back is 585 litres that's if you have the five-seater but if you put the third row of seats in that compromises the space even if you keep them in the flat position. If you put them up, you compromise cargo space enormously. And I think that's a point that I make about every medium-sized SUV. Many claim to be seven-seaters with a third row of seats, but I've yet to find one that's particularly practical. Now, in the five-seater, two-row capacity, there was a large panel in the back that you could remove to get to the Space Saver spare tyre and a bit of sound equipment. It was very cumbersome to pull out and put back. I guess one hopes you don't have to use that often. A small imperfection for someone with a keen eye in the model we had. The right side mudguard at the front didn't quite match up to the front fascia panel. You could see a little shadow when it should have been smooth and flat. Generally the controls aren't bad, although the secondary buttons at the lowest point on the centre console, are a bit hard to see and reach. But perhaps the most disappointing is the graphics on the satellite navigation for the map. Both in the daytime and more particularly at night time, they look very schematic. They don't give you that feel of looking at a real road system. In fact, their use of bright colours both for the roads and for the background, highlighting things like park space and non urban areas made it all look a bit like modern art. I might talk about that next week with our good colleague and artist Dean Oliver. So I mentioned the marginal cost going back to full prices and these are drive away prices. The base model is around $41,000 plus or minus up to $500 depending on which state you are in. Some local state taxes are different. Western Australia is the most expensive. For the top of the range TI model, in New South Wales they're priced at $57,900. And again, depending on the state, can be significantly higher. In Western Australia it's an extra $1,600. We're not reporting at this stage on the hybrid option that is available which costs a significantly extra $6,000, and they do it different from most other hybrids, and it is, of course, only available on the top two variants. So in conclusion, the Nissan X-Trail represents one of the more traditional, solid, well-built, well-appointed vehicles in the very competitive medium-sized SUV. It is currently in seventh place, but growing strongly with a new fourth-generation model. It has won or come close to winning a number of awards, including the Women's World Car of the Year Award, interestingly for what they call a large SUV, but like most vehicles, they have been growing in size. It's certainly not the lowest price in the category, 
but is still holding its own compared to some of the cheaper imports in current year-to-date sales. You're listening to Overdrive. And now a reflection, perhaps a quote of the week. Many years ago, and still to some extent today, prestige cars have highlighted their luxury with wood panelling inside on the dashboard and doors. But there are also those who, a little later, tried to get the same effect with faux plastic imitations. Now the modern trend is to have some interior insert panels in a vehicle look like carbon fibre. But our good friend Paul Morell from SeniorDriverOz.com was in a Haval H6 medium-sized SUV and experienced a similar reaction that we might have had to fake timber. There are lots of bells and whistles, which people, you know, you open the door and go, oh, yes, that all looks very nice. Mind you, it has it has the worst carbon fibre imitation I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but, but that aside... It's been stenciled on or something. <laughs> yes, I think it was drawn by a three-year-old. <laughs> People will make that assessment. You know, I open the door and go, how does it look? How does it feel? I mean, I find that the the driving dynamics are f- still fairly short of what I would find acceptable in those vehicles. But, you know, for most people, that is not going to be an issue. This is Overdrive across Australia. One of the big principles of evolution is the survival of the fittest, But the fittest is not necessarily being the biggest at any one point in time. A key component of being fit is being able to adapt to change. With the electrification of vehicles, it's not necessarily just doing the same old thing in the same old way with just electric power. It's about understanding current and potential new applications. And it can bring in new players in new ways. Chow Lee is the General Manager of eMobility, at Origin Energy. Chow, e-mobility in a title at Origin Energy. Is that new? When did that first happen and were you the first one? Yes, so I um, was heading up corporate strategy for all of Origin um, back in 2018. And I pitched to the management team and the board that um, electric vehicles and the electrification of mobility was um, a growth opportunity that Origin should um, seriously pursue. Um, So I got the um, management team's approval to start quite a small team at first um, to pursue this opportunity. And e-mobility is electric mobility. So it's broader than just providing electrons to cars. It's it's about um, electrifying transport, but also looking at newer forms of mobility to really help our customers firstly switch to EVs, but then think of um, alternate ways of getting from A to B rather than the traditional form of vehicle ownership that Australians are used to. The traditional form of ownership, there's a need for a change of perception. Global warming is a very broad strategic and moral issue, but while we might, many of us, agree with it, a great majority, it's a bit hard to know or to see ourselves doing something constructive. You're getting down to 
activities on the ground, as it were. Is, is that an important part of your corporate strategy, culture and community value? Our strategy and our ambition is to lead the energy transition um, through en um, cleaner energy and customer solutions. And our ambition is to get to net zero by 2050. Transportation is um, a key component of decarbonising Australia as well as um, our planet. So we are decarbonising our own origins footprint, but as well as helping customers on that journey. And we know that um, the transition to EVs is much more than just the vehicle. The main questions that we get asked is, how are we going to charge the car? What about the energy solution? What about the impact on um, the energy grid? So it's working with our customers, both kind of retail customers as well as large organisation to help them start that EV transition, help them on that journey and holding their hand throughout the entire um, journey. Adaption means change over time. You can't say how tomorrow we've all got to do everything. You are focusing, and we're here in a BMW, as you've had links with other car manufacturers who produce electric vehicles. We're here with a focus really on leasing and, and fleets and, and, that, and subscriptions. That's right. The important point there is perhaps the managed fleets or the very much more managed cars rather than the somewhat free-for-all we might have at home. Is that the initial a strong focus of what you're doing and if so why? So, so we um, want to help our customers make the switch to EV as simple and as seamless as possible by providing kind of like you said David a, a fully managed solution um, including the car, the charging solution and the energy and we hear from our customers that Making the switch over to EVs, there's a range of consideration, um, whether the EVs is fit for purpose, um, for business news, um, whether it's fit for purpose, for personal news, um, how are people going to charge it, is it going to work for their lifestyle, is it going to work for their business purposes. So um, we offer a leasing, but we are increasingly looking at subscription as a model for both businesses as well as um, retail customers to try an EV um, on a short term, on a more flexible um, uh, offering to get them over that kind of initial concern of trying a new technology because it's literally month to month. They can take a vehicle, um, try it for a month, see if it works for their lifestyle, learn how they can charge it, if it doesn't work, they have that um, confidence of being able to hand the vehicle back to us or swap for another EV without committing to that kind of long-term you know, lease or buying the vehicle outright. See, the current model for leasing tends to lock you in. We've got leasing as well as subscription. So people are starting with subscription first to get their hands on the EV. Yeah. And then once they're comfortable with it, then we take them through a longer uh, transition strategy. Do you work with them to help them get comfortable? We work with them on the pilot, um, sitting down on designing the longer term uh, strategy, the charging solution to support that longer term strategy, and then offering that fully managed um, lease um, on a longer term basis. Might you also then, through a subscription basis, be able to use the car more effectively, that if I don't need it for a while or or do you offer as well the opportunity to get a more appropriate car for a holiday for example yes 
that's the beauty of subscription is that because the minimum term is only 30 days, you then have complete flexibility. If you don't need the vehicle because you're going on holiday for two months, you hand that back. Or you know, you take um, a smaller car for your um, everyday use, but then during the summer you want a larger SUV for your road trip, you can also swap. So it provides complete flexibility to do that. Um, and you know, one of the things that we keep saying um, at Origin is that, um, a car is um, the most inefficient use of capital that we, we have in our life because we spend thousands of dollars to own and maintain the vehicle and we only use it 5% of the time. So through subscription, we're hoping to increase the utilization of these vehicles to reduce the resources that is used to produce these vehicles that are only used 5% of the time. So for example, you might only need two cars in the family during school term. Yep, and then during the school holidays, you hand one back or you get um, another one that is more appropriate for the summer. So have you become a full leasing company? Is, is that evolved out of your management of your own fleet? Yes, so we've been operating EVs in our own fleet since 2012. And you know we've had to go through all of the learnings um, and come up with solutions to help um, the organisation as well as our employees um, really uh, switch over to EVs. Um, and we use all of these learnings now to then um, help our own customer base to make that transition. So we started with uh, a fully managed operating lease, but increasingly we are hearing a lot more demand from our customers to try EV on um, shorter term subscription before they commit to that longer term lease. So we offer both. You mentioned there's some extra things to learn or different things to learn. We have the expectation of jumping in a car, driving it anywhere. Government's going to change that potentially. But driving it and then filling it up quickly. But do we have to continue that model? How can you help the customer? Yeah. So, so what we found, um, and this is you know, also consistent with what um, we're seeing overseas, is that 80% of the charging will be done at home or at work. This is very different from operating petrol cars because you cannot fill up a petrol, petrol car at home, whereas with an EV, it's like charging your phone while you sleep. Like it's the most convenient way to charge your phone is you go to sleep, you plug your phone into charge, plug your car into charge. And if you're at home during the middle of the day um, and you've got excess solar, then that's a very cost-efficient way to charge. So it's, it's really coming up with the right charging solution because there are many charging solutions. Charge at home, if you drive into work, you charge at work. And if you're traveling far distance, then you've got that public charging network. So then it's, it's a lot more flexibility uh, and choices on how you charge as opposed to, I need to go to a petrol station. Even a fleet might well be able to think about charging overnight rather than a frantic quick charge. It's a back-to-base vehicle that comes back to you know, the depot or the office at five o'clock. You've got from five o'clock to say seven o'clock in the morning, all of that time to charge. If it's take-home vehicle, then the employees can charge it at night when they take the vehicle home. So yeah, I would say it's a, it's a lot more flexible and convenient if you can make you know, that charging work. Are you gonna be using pricing mechanisms? And if so, to encourage 
this thing that suits both the customer, but also maybe the supply sort? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we were the first um, smart charging trial to be done with Arena back in 2019, 2020. Um, so, you know, we've, we've got a lot of learnings from that trial. Um, and as a follow-up to that trial, we have now launched our EV energy plan for EV drivers, which exactly as you said, David, provides that price signal. So our EV energy plan has five hours of free electricity between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. every day. Um, to charge the car, but as well as for the whole house. So it really then provides the price signal um, for EV drivers to charge during the middle of the day to soak up that excess um, solar generation that would otherwise have been curtailed. Mm -hmm. um, and then between 1am and 6am, um, there is also off-peak pricing for people who want to do um, the charging overnight while they sleep. Um, there are, of course, kind of peak pricing during um, the periods where there are um, constraints in the grid. So during that evening peak, there are higher pricing. So we are providing that price signal um, to make it more cost effective for EV drivers to charge their car, but also at a time that, you know, uh, works for, for the electricity system. An energy provider used to be sort of an unknown in a way, didn't it? A, a mystical almost. Um, and I don't mean it negative. Some might have said shadowy, but I won't. Uh, is this much more of not a take it or leave it approach, but a facilitated approach? What we found are um, our customers have a lot of questions when um, you know uh, looking at EVs. So uh, you know we we try to help them answer those questions and take them on the journey with us rather than just you know throwing a product at them. Well, there's there's a, a community, but also I think a good corporate structure there that you are now engaging with them in their lifestyle yes. more than just selling them a That's product. That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. So so it's engaging them with their lifestyle, helping them reduce their carbon footprint, um, but as well as, um, you know, helping them save money at the same time. They're most interested in the broader climate change issue or maybe I can save some money. Uh, I think it depends. Um, definitely in the um, kind of early adopter period, um, the, the focus was very much on sustainability, um, doing the right thing for um, the environment. But now with the fringe benefit tax exemption, that makes um, EVs a lot more affordable for businesses as well as for employees to salary package. Um, the conversation now is turning uh, to, you know, I'm doing good for the planet, but it is also good for my wallet because I'm saving money. The response has been good? Yes, yeah, we've, um, we've, we've had a number of our products in market um, for a few years. The subscription product is quite new. We launched that this year and we've seen a lot of interest from both organisations as well as um, employees of those organisations, um, you know, from both a, like a sustainability point of view, but also from a financial point of view, like it's starting to stack up. A lot of power must go to business, shopping centres, be it what, whatever. It must represent a very managed area to start, you know, certainly to get a lot of runs on the board. Yes, so, so we, we definitely started with the fleet segment because we believe that the um, high utilisation of EVs in fleet um, meant that the economics of these EVs um, uh, 
compare much more favorably to petrol cars. And as we get more EVs through the fleet and they have a turnover of three to four years, then we can have more EVs going through the second-hand market to increase that you know, supply of affordable EVs for the, the rest of the market. Do you think businesses are getting much more attuned to working in this new parameters? You know, we, we started this, um, the, the fleet conversation, over two years ago. And at that point, um, it was still a lot about why EVs? Why do we need to start thinking about EVs and why EVs now? The conversation has really shifted to we get why EVs. Tell us how we're going to, to do it. Show us how. Help us. point I push very hard that no matter what you think about global warming, local pollution is a huge issue. That's right. And, and EVs with EVs, um, you don't have any of that tower pipe pollution. I think we should have meetings of groups and that at schools beside major highways. It's on the ground working that there's a, a great market, a great opportunity. Yes, and um, we run um, drive days um, every six months. And that's exactly like you said, it's on the ground. It's getting people into these cars. It's talking to them about the charging solutions. Show them how easy it is to charge the vehicle. Um, without that, it's just words on a paper. Joe, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, David. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Paul Morell, Chow Lee, Nissan Australia and Mark Wesley for their help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or the social links and podcasts. Look for cars, transport, culture. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.